Hello and welcome to Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy, the podcast that breaks the silence around the many issues women face after hysterectomies. My name is Melani Favort and I'm the author of Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy. In this episode, we talk about sex. But before we go into this exciting topic, please may I remind you that this podcast is intended for information purposes only and, of course, must never replace medical intervention. So if you are worried or something doesn't feel right, please contact your medical provider immediately. So my guest today is Dr. Malene Wasserman. She's better known as Dr. Eve. She's a certified couple and sex therapist with a doctorate in human sexuality she also recently completed a postgraduate certificate in trauma stress studies and has a private practice that has a global reach. So welcome, Dr. Eve. Thank you for having me as your guest. So, you know, when you are on some of the hysterectomy support sites on the internet, the topic that comes up most frequently is sex. And that's whether women have had their procedures yet or are still waiting for the hysterectomies. I mm-hmm. think the, the questions are... There are so many questions and just so many anxieties about how this is going to affect their sex life. So I really hope we can break down some of these issues and address some of the fears today and that you can help us with that. We have to acknowledge that women's experiences differ vastly. And I think especially if they've had radical hysterectomies, so where Mm -hmm. ovaries and everything has been removed, cervix, etc. The way they then relate to sex is very different from before. Why is that? I think we want to start looking at some of the things that happen to women before they actually have to have a hysterectomy. So most frequently, it is a required medical procedure. It isn't a surgical procedure that women go in and say, you know, I really like to have a hysterectomy because it's bothersome to me. You know, I don't want to have a uterus anymore. I don't want to have ovaries anymore. I don't quite like my cervix. So it's not something that they voluntarily go and do. So they might have been experiencing some kind of medical problems before they actually have this. And if they're having some kind of medical difficulties like excessive bleeding or even pain with being sexual or finding that they they just have other symptoms that already interfere with their sexuality, that is going to have an impact on how they are sexually afterwards as well. So there also may be women who have had a low libido before they had a hysterectomy And after they have a hysterectomy, find that their libido is even lower. There are also women who may find that due to relationship issues or their own traumatic relationship with sexuality, having a hysterectomy actually frees them up as Mm -hmm. saying, well, actually, I don't have any more hormones left and I don't have a libido. So it kind of gives me permission not to be sexual. And then we have a category of women who say, I'm so happy to be relieved and rid of some of the symptoms, such as the heavy bleeding, some of the pain that was actually caused by my need to have a hysterectomy, that now I feel free and I can now enjoy being sexual, enjoy not being having the risk of falling pregnant. So there are benefits to it as well for some women in terms of their sexual functioning afterwards. And I think that's really important to acknowledge, right, that For some, it's very positive, but even if you've not had a positive experience and even though you've gone through the hysterectomy, you can be very sexually active and happy sexually afterwards again. Well, I think if you are given some indicators, which are oftentimes missing from healthcare providers around the changes that are absolutely definitely going to happen sexually for you 
post-hysterectomy. And that's where I think the gap is. Now, what's really interesting about um, my bits of knowledge of the brain, and I say bits because it's how can one ever know a lot about the brain, no matter how long you study it, is that our brains are primed to be in a negative state. So we think of the worst possible situations in order to protect us, right? Your brain says, oh, you know, there's something dangerous that's happening. So you predict and you prepare yourself to protect yourself from something possibly negative. Now, the antidote to negative thinking is information. That's what Mm. quietens the brain. So if a woman goes into a hysterectomy and she's not given the information she requires around what her sexual changes are going to be, that creates a medical trauma for her. And that has implications on her relationship, her body image, her self-esteem, her confidence, her sexuality in general. That is so interesting. And I think this is exactly why we decided to do this podcast, because after my own hysterectomy, even the few days before, I didn't have much time. I was shocked at how little information is actually out there. And of course, from the medical side, the surgeons, the gynecologists usually just signs off after maybe four or five weeks, and then you're on your own when the real healing actually only starts. And so little information. So women rely on talking to one another, but also even amongst women, there is a big silence, I think maybe even a shame around hysterectomies. The shame Mm. that women just seem to fall into when it comes to anything that affects reproductive and sexual health. Yeah, it's just an observation. So let's talk a little bit about some of the changes. Let's talk first about the physical changes, you know, particularly around the vagina. We know sometimes that they are shorter, right? And then, of course, with hormonal changes, drier, etc., under certain circumstances, because I always like to work contextually, Milani, why was that hysterectomy needed to be done? Was it because there was cancer? So already you're getting into a situation where you've got a diagnosis of cancer and there is almost a life-threatening situation. So you, you already go into a medicalized traumatic state because of the cancer. So you're not really focusing then on sexual outcomes. You're not focusing on what's it going to be like when I am 25 or 35 or even 45 years old and I've had this radical hysterectomy and suddenly I'm in menopause. Suddenly I have got uh, no more hormones to support my sexuality and not only my sexuality, but the hormones that are important to feminize me, meaning my, my skin becomes really dry, my hair feels a little a little different like an aging woman, my body shape changes incredibly because what happens for women who lose their ovaries is that they lose the capacity to be able to make estrogen and estrogen mm. kind of sneaky because it uh, thrives in fat cells. So where does it put the fat cells? It puts the fat cells in our arms, our upper thighs and mostly around our tummy area, right? Mm-hmm. And so suddenly women find that physically their bodies change because estrogen will create fatty cells in those areas to try and produce more estrogen. So that's going to impact them sexually. I mean, just there before we even get to the vagina, right, is the body image. It's how the body's going to change and how that will maybe inhibit you to, to, be, to be sexual if you were not inhibited from a body image point of view beforehand. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about, you know, the vagina, the vagina does shorten in length, especially if the, you know, the cervix has been removed, and you're not really told about that. You also find that there may be some pelvic floor weakness as a result of a hysterectomy, 
And pelvic floor is really important for us. We all have these striated muscles, pelvic floor muscles that hold up our, our anus, our bladder, uterus, ovaries, and um, once and the vagina. And once that's gone, there could be a collapse. Once that happens, it could lead to urinary incontinence. Has anyone spoken about urinary incontinence that you've mm, been right? We've yeah. had a we've had a oh. episode on that um, because it is such a common thing for Amazing. women after hysterectomies. Yes, right, right, right. And then you know, and of course again do? the shame and the trauma yeah. around that. Mm. Yeah, and what do you do with that sexually? You know, mm. how do you do? How do you trust your body that you're not going to pee while you've been orgasmic, or while you've been penetrated, or while you just simply arouse? So your your response to that is, I'm just going to not want to be sexual. I'm going to make excuses. I'm going to become avoidant. I'm going to shut down that part of myself. And the implications of that on relationships or on future relationships are, are tremendous. So that's something that, you know, we do want women to be able to know. And there's a simple solution to it. You know, you just take a towel to bed and you just lie in a towel and so what, you know, so what? If there is pee or the fluids during sexual activity, enjoy the fluids. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't bring in the shame around what your body's doing. Be fully present in, in the body and let it, let it work as best as what it can. Then, of course, the good old orgasms that feel different. After my operation, I bumped into somebody who said, yeah, she had a hysterectomy, but the doctor said not to remove the cervix because that's where you orgasm, which is, of course, nonsense, Right. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, um, I mean, there's you know, I, I'm, I'm, you can hear my hesitation. Um, women can be orgasmic in, in a variety of ways, and there's some women, obviously, who can who enjoy very deep penetration and enjoy you know right up into the cervix. They may enjoy pounding in that area, and if that's gone, there's like a void, and there's suddenly like where is this penis or the sex toy going? You know, it's like into Netherland. We don't know where that ever is going to end. So that definitely could impact women who are used to having or enjoy having deep penetration and feeling some sense of orgasm. Uh, but you're correct that 99.9% of women rely on clitoral stimulation. And even that may feel a little different. Before I forget, because we've got to come back to the vaginal atrophy, because that's you know, a huge, huge mm. part of what happens. Mm. You might find that if you've had a hysterectomy, you are going to have a dulling of sensations. And that is if you've had a radical hysterectomy or oophorectomy where you've had your ovaries removed. And that would be because of the loss of estrogen. And so estrogen, we need estrogen to support testosterone because we do have some testosterone as women. And that will also be diminished with the hysterectomy as the estrogen is diminished. And as a result of that, you might find that your orgasmic capacity is different. You might find that your orgasms feel different. They take longer. Some women love it because it's a nicer, bigger buildup. But they also may find that the sensation is different and not as intense as what they used to prehysterectomy. And that's, again, because of hormonal changes that have happened. So it's a huge adjustment once you have that information of knowing there are going to be changes to my orgasm and how do I adapt to that? Not shut down the sexual part of me, but how do I adapt to this change of orgasm? And I think you know what the solution is. If you don't know, I'm here to tell you. Tell us. (laughs) So there's a thing called Dr. Eve's Sex Store. I have to, you know, just put in a bit of marketing there. 
Um, vibrations, vibrators is really what I highly, highly recommend. And I you know, do a lot of education around that because I specifically have pleasure products in my store that are geared to women and to couples and to people who have got sexual dysfunctions and find with illness or disabilities, cancer as a result of menopause, that they have changed in sexual experience. So without struggling, without wanting to go back or longing to go back to what was, simply get a vibrator that's going to do the wonderful, wonderful work for you of giving you intense vibration and orgasms again. It's about how do I introduce that into my life? If you want to have a vaginal vibrator, of course, you can still do that. You might find that it still really does you know, good things for you. Or the clitoral vibes, which are the most popular, is definitely going to be able to give you the orgasms and maybe even enhance your orgasmic capacity. If you've never used sex toys before, you're going to find that OMG experience. So let's just go back you know, so women have an operation. So most yeah. women, I think for the first, well, um, some women, if they've had, depending on the type of procedure they've had, some feel very quickly that they're up for sex again. But I think the majority of women feel sore, um, especially those, of course, who've had abdominal surgery. It takes a good couple of weeks before they're ready for that kind of thing. But but even then, there's a lot of fear around the wound, and particularly cuff you know when the cervix have been removed what what happens there where does the sperm go now can the stitches come loose how do you suggest women ease into it after I mean you've talked a little bit about it now but just to get around the fear and of course particularly the fear of pain and injury to yourself absolutely so in terms of what the research says they say that there shouldn't be penetration for the first five to six weeks Every woman heals differently and every woman's experience is different. And I just always recommend that you get a gynecological checkup to make sure that, you know, you feel confident that you have healed and that there's not going to be a bloodbath that happens when you have your first uh, penetrative experience afterwards. And Melani, I mean, I've heard of women who have not had information and don't have an idea that the loss of hormones of estrogen uh, specifically, is going to atrophy their vaginas and lead mm. to vaginal dryness. And so they're not prepared for penetration of any kind and find it hugely embarrassing, humiliating, shaming when penetration happens and there is pain and then they find there is this, you know, this incredible bloodbath that happens afterwards. Let's also bear in mind that one in three women experience pain, generally painful sex, and that's without hysterectomy. And that women who do have sexual pain are silent with their partners and with their healthcare providers around it. So this is you know, a big, big issue, definitely after hysterectomy, initially after surgery. There's going to be pain, even after you know, childbirth, even after a C-section, there's going to be pain um, if you've had any kind of surgical intervention there. And so you want to be you know, really tender with yourself. And once you've had a gynae examination, once you yourself have explored a little bit to see how much can I tolerate with having digital penetration first or trying with the toy very gently, a very small dilator to see what can I tolerate and using a vaginal moisturizer, which I'll talk a little bit more about 
once you've got your confidence, you're able to go full on into whatever kind of penetration you want. The problem comes that when you're not prepared and you don't have hormone replacement, if you can have hormone replacement, if you don't have Vagifem, which is a an incredible product. It's a schedule one. You can go into the store and buy it right now. Um, it's a, a hormone that's inserted into the vagina on a regular basis and builds up the endothelium again. So it gives you some kind of protection with penetration because you've got those hormones as well. If you you know you're not prepared with that, you gain to automatically contract with pain and you end up with a pain disorder um, called vaginismus which means that due to your terror, to your fear, to your pain that you're experiencing, you end up with a sexual dysfunction where penetration is just no longer possible. So what's the solution? So apart from hormone replacement, which could be if you can have it, of course, because some women Mm -hmm. can't, um, especially if there were cancer issues involved. Um, If you can't do any of that, what is the solution? Loads and loads of lube? You started to talk about that? Yeah, so lube has a, a limitation because it doesn't get inside the vagina. So unless you are replenishing an atrophied vagina with hormones, any kind of lube or vaginal moisturizer is going to be helpful, but it's not going to build up the endothelial lining, which is very necessary for protection of the vagina. So I do want to be very clear, Milani, that women who are on cancer therapies or have a history of cancer please consult with your doctor about hormones because some oncologists are really opposed to them completely. And depending on the kind of cancer you've had, so you've got to be guided by them Mm. and not just take hormones on your own. It is a very personal, very personal decision that a woman takes. And I know it's, it's kind of controversial. Some women find that their quality of life generally with menopausal symptoms and with the loss of sexual penetrative experience, loss of sexual desire is so bad for them that they take the risk of taking hormones. So every woman has to have a personal, very personal discussion with her gynecologist and her oncologist if it has been a cancer-related hysterectomy. So if you don't have any of those issues in terms of cancer, I recommend that you talk to your gynae around hormone replacement and use Vagifem. As I say, I'm repeating, Vagifem is this wonderful, just very small, the little inserter in directly into the vagina. And over about three months, you build up the endothelial lining. So it's fabulous. And then I sell a vaginal moisturizer, which is called Liquid Silk. And it's a really, really fantastic product because it gets inserted via an applicator into the vagina and it moistens the vagina. It's like it's like face moisturizer, moistens the vagina. It's not, and I'm repeating because I really want you know people on your podcast to know this, it cannot rebuild the endothelial because it's not hormonal. It's just a wonderful moisturizer that will give you incredible comfortability knowing that your vagina is going to stay moist because if you feel you're not lubricating naturally anymore, if you feel that you're kind of feeling a little afraid or anxious, you will naturally dry up. And so having a vaginal moisturizer inside of you, you know that you're kind of well covered and you are protected from discomfort and and even pain because you have that extra bit of lubrication inside your vagina. I think it's so useful to raise these issues because that was one of the things going through menopause that struck me was 
that doctors, GPs, etc. don't, as a matter of course, tell women about the vagina's need for hormones, you know, hormone cream or, you know, something that you insert in there, because of course it also creates problems with uh, urinary tract infections. If you do, if you're not lubricated down there enough and because little tears form and, and so on. And I'm just shocked that that's not almost as a matter of course given to or offered to women at a certain age, you know, when you start going through menopause. Let's just talk for a minute. Are there, especially in the beginning, following a hysterectomy, would you recommend certain positions rather than others that would help less risk of injury or pain, Mm. etc.? It's important for people to maintain intimacy, right? And to maintain connection. If you are in a significant relationship or relationships with multiple people, you want to maintain the sexual part of yourself, the intimate part of yourself still. And after all, penetration is just one of the activities that people have on their menu of sexual activities, of being able to feel stimulated and aroused and connected and excited and playful. So to continue to be exploratory, to be present with each other's bodies, to still see, am I able to have sexual stimulation, breast stimulation? Is my whole body going to feel different? It can be quite an adventure, actually to say, well, you know, this is changing. And I think, you know, you know as a woman, Milani, that we women are so adaptive. Mm. We're so used to our bodies changing and we're so used to reorganizing our sexuality according to how our bodies change from pre-puberty to puberty to then going into, you know, full-blown teenagehood, adulthood, into aging, into menopause, into terminal illnesses. We're used to bodies just being so incredibly elastic in a way. And it can be, I think, a very positive adventure for somebody to be exploring their own bodies. And um, let me stay with that because I think it's important that, that women who have had hysterectomies explore your own body first. You know, really spend time before you get into a situation where you, you don't know how your body's going to respond with a partner. Find out for yourself first. Spend time alone, touching yourself, exploring, stimulating yourself and seeing what what feels different. You know, go into your body with curiosity to be able to still engage with that sexual part and then find some ways of, of maintaining the intimacy with your partner, whether it's spooning or cuddling or still having intimate touching or still being orgasmic in different ways. That's the fun of what sexuality can bring and that's almost the what we call trauma growth that can happen, the possibility of infinite possibilities that are offered when we do have something as traumatic as a hysterectomy to happen to us. Let's talk a little bit about the trauma, which I know is is something that really touches you as well. When we interviewed a pelvic floor expert, she said that up to 80% of women's trauma is often held in their pelvic floors, which I thought was a very interesting thing that she said. Let's talk a little bit about the trauma because I think that's often very denied, the shock beforehand and then the trauma of healing afterwards. And of course, the traumatic intervention in the body. And of course, we know the body remembers, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. There will be, as I said, the, the trauma might begin with the feeling of ill health, of meant and how that affects you mentally as well, feeling out of control, feeling changes in one's body, and then getting the uh, 
the news. I mean, even it's traumatic just to go into a doctor's consulting room and then come in to make the decision that you have to have a hysterectomy at a, you know, at a young age and still a reproductive bearing age as well. I mean, there's a trauma right there, Milani, of mm. no longer being able to reproduce. And it's something that I'm sure you've heard that even women who are older, they still feel the loss of that somehow the association of uterus and ovaries with childbearing and a part of their lives, the youth that is lost. So there's, you know, there is, there is a traumatic response. There's a grieving. I, I wouldn't say that that would be, it can be traumatic, but there's a grief that one needs to go through around the loss of that stage of one's life. And if you're young, it's incredibly traumatic to have a hysterectomy and to know that this is now brought about the loss of, of a dream, of a progressive trajectory of one's life, of expectation, if you do want to have children, that this is taken away from you. And that has an impact on how you respond. And it could be that you feel you know, more than just challenged, but moving to a PTSD state where you would begin to have symptoms of PTSD. Um, some of those symptoms could be having insomnia, changes in appetite, nightmares, hypervigilance and alertness, lack of concentration, lack of energy, feeling a change in mood, depressed uh, or high anxiety, high, you know, hypervigilance, and feeling a lack of connection with other people and isolation. And you really want to be watching that if it remains for a long period of time post-hysterectomy you then need to consult with a mental health practitioner to be able to process your trauma or to process the PTSD so that it doesn't stay in the body, that you're able to you know, move it through the body. And unfortunately, people who do have um, childhood histories of trauma, it could be sexual abuse, even a what we call a once-off adult shock event of trauma, which could be a rape or a sexually violent episode that has created you know, trauma in their, uh, in their bodies and their, their mental state around connection and intimacy. This really, really, they're at much higher risk of being triggered into PTSD after a hysterectomy. Um, another really interesting fact is that women who have had childhood traumas of either sexual abuse or of what we call neglect and invisibility and abandonment. These levels of stress release of cortisol is much higher. And over a long period of time, cortisol into the body causes inflammation. And there is a load of research which shows that women who have had childhood, either sexual abuse or invisibility, neglect and abandonment, what we call developmental trauma disorder, they had a higher risk of reproductive health problems and they would be a higher hmm. risk of, of having a hysterectomy early in life as well. I think there's a whole episode in just dealing with the trauma and also perhaps in shame, you know, that comes with, with hysterectomies, um, yeah. because I think it's fascinating and it's very much not looked at um, afterwards. Mm-hmm. Just to get back to sex, I was asked to ask you two questions. The first one is, obviously, oral sex is often a way of easing back into full-blown penetrative sex, but there were uh, questions around if you're using vaginal hormones Mm-hmm. Is that problematic for your partner? Okay, it's a great question. Um, so 
Uh, using Vagifem, there is absolutely no discharge or smell or taste at all. Vagifem is something that you put into your vagina. You begin with a course of, of nightly um, for two weeks, and then you go into a course of twice a week. Some women do three times a week, depends on what your gynae is going to recommend to you till you build up that epithelium can take about three months. And Vagifem, as I say, has absolutely no smell, no taste and no discharge. So you really are safe around that. And if you want to be having oral sex, I mean, there's, we have so many, there are so many available and certainly in my store, I, I have great ranges of lubrication because I believe that every woman really should be using lube, not just to take away the anxiety of, you know, am I dry, am I wet, as it's going to be discomfort, you know, uncomfortable, but just because it adds so much more pleasure and sulkiness and sheerness, it's just a joy to use it. There are wonderful um, lubes which have got flavors uh, so that you can go from cherry to banana to vanilla. I also sell some lubes and there are many in other online stores of what we call stimulants. So to be like clitoral stimulants where you could rub onto the clitoral region and you would find there's more engorgement and lubrication that happens with that. So you can play around with that. But certainly with oral sex, no, your hormones definitely are not going to interfere with your partner won't even know. So he won't suddenly, if it's a male, he wouldn't suddenly grow breasts or suddenly get to <laughs> estrogen. I think that's, I think that's oh, the fear. Is the is the is the estrogen? Yes. Oh, that's so funny. I'm with you now. No, 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 no. It's not going to happen. No, no, no. It's not transferable. It's the same as you know. You're just reminding me of how there's that fear of of women who are having radiation or chemotherapy. They they ask in a very embarrassed way because it's not spoken about. You know, if we do have oral sex or penetration, you know, am I going to get this chemo into me as well? And the answer is obviously no. I think lastly, let's just talk about uh, the discussion with sexual partners because a lot um, of women, in particular those who are in heterosexual relations, seems to be feel very pressured or often mm-hmm. feel very pressured by mm-hmm. the men in their lives to get back into sex. Also because doctors seem to give different guidelines as to when it is comfortable and safe. How to have that conversation? You know, we're right there. I just feel immediate kind of discomfort in my gut because uh, this is is, so unpalatable for me when I hear it generally in my therapy room as well. You know, I feel pressured to be sexual. I always wonder what's really going on in that relationship, that there would be a partner who is pressurizing a woman into sexuality at any time. I also quite well understand that it's very difficult for women to speak up generally, and especially if the relationships are volatile, to be able to speak up and to say no, or to say, give me some time, let's be patient, because women carry the enormous burden, Milani, of being the good wife or the good woman, mm-hmm. and that it's our duty to be sexual. And there is this fear that if I am not sexual, he's going to go elsewhere in the heterosexist environment. He's going to go elsewhere. I'm going to be replaced. He's going to cheat. And that's why we have the high level of silence with pain. Silence with pain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's absolutely unacceptable. Uh, a woman really has to have a voice to be able to say, we got to play around a little differently. And I'm saying that, but I know that so many women are not empowered or safe to be able to say that. So if you are in that kind of situation, 
and there is pressure, uh, you want to be able to offer something else to pleasure the man. And I know that oftentimes men will say, no, no, you know, the only pleasure I get is when I'm inside of you. I want to come inside of you. I want to feel you. And it may be difficult for them. Um, I'm trying to conjure up, as I think you can hear some empathy for men here, is that you know, maybe it's difficult for them to withhold penetration for six weeks. Um, okay, well then, you know, buy him a flashlight, get him a male masturbator and lie next to him and let him have a good time. Am I being too cynical, Melanie? No, but I think those are so important because I think you're yeah. right that the, and also again, if I watch the conversations and listen to the conversations between women, there is this pressure that they feel, you know, and of yeah. course often don't feel ready to do it yet. And I think, yeah, I think a good conversation with their partners would help a lot. But if they don't have that, then your yeah, alternatives, I think is really important. Dr. Eve, thank you so much. Such a joy to speak to you. And I think we can speak for another few hours around this. For me, the takeaway is how important it is for women to build a loving, healing, supportive relationship with their new sexual selves um, right. so that they can still have fun no matter what age and what type of hysterectomy they've had. So thank you very, very much for that. My thanks as always to Nicola Bruns for producing this podcast and thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at hysterectomypodcast at gmail.com. I'm Melanie Favut. Until next time, stay strong and stay brave. <laughs>